Welcome to this episode of Consider It Blacklit. I am Kim Singleton, your host. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, Consider It Blacklit highlights films, television programs, and stage plays that feature African-Americans up front and behind the scenes. We also discuss social issues as it relates to some of these programs and how they may or may not impact our communities. So thank you for tuning in and we hope you continue to tune in each week. Today, it is my pleasure to highlight a very important person behind the scenes on Broadway. She is the first woman of color sound designer on Broadway for her work on the play Chicken and Biscuits, Twee McCullen. Welcome, Twee. Oh, thank you. That was so warm. I wasn't <laughs> ready for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. But before we get started, I just have one thing to say to you. Ain't you? You know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was super excited when I read you went to Howard University. I was like, yay, my fellow bison lady. Thank you. When did you graduate? I'm not saying that on air. (laughs) I'll tell you after we go off. (laughs) But it was before you were born. (laughs) So let me start off by asking what made you want to be a sound designer and talk about how you ended up getting the gig at Chicken and Biscuits. Yeah, so actually when I was at Howard, I was in their technical theater program, which a lot of people don't know about. Howard is famous for like the actors that they produce, but they also have a technical theater and theater administration program. So when I was there, I was kind of forced down this like costume design path that I liked for a little bit, but I didn't really think I was good at it. I actually failed my lighting design class. Oh, no. Yep, I failed my scenic design class. I wasn't really good at anything, but there was this day where um, I was a um, dresser for one of our musicals. So I was in the wings waiting for my actor to come off stage so I can do their quick change. And there was just this visceral moment of like my body being washed over with music and sound effects. And I was like, oh, whatever that is, I think that's what I want to do. But unfortunately at that time, Howard didn't have a sound professor and they still don't to my knowledge. So it wasn't until I literally failed out of school and I moved to New York in 2018 that I got my first sound job, which was at a dance company. Um, and that was the first time that I learned the basics of audio, like how to stand on a ladder to hang a speaker. And what is a microphone? What do these buttons on the console do? So flash forward to how I got Chicken and Biscuits. Um, I had always been a fan of the director, Jalen. Um, I just found out about his work a long time ago and I spent maybe a year like messaging him on social media, trying to email him, just trying to meet him. And um, by happenstance or by purpose or whatever you want to call it, one of my classmates from Howard like literally grew up with Jalen they're from the same hometown and everything and when I found that out I reached out to my classmate and said can you please connect me with him and she was like yes of course so that's officially how we met 
And when the pandemic happened, Jalen was doing a lot of like radio plays and virtual theater. And he hired me as a sound designer for like three projects. And I butchered them all, but he <laughs> loved me enough to, when he got his call about his Broadway show, he called me. It was in May and it was at nine o'clock at night. And he was like, hey, I think one of my shows is going to Broadway. I'd love to hire you for it. So that's how I got here <laughs> oh that's awesome that is totally amazing amazing and it was good for him to see the vision and see the you know potentially in you even though you say you butchered the other projects yeah. <laughs> that's all we need is opportunity exactly uh so how young were you when you knew you wanted to go into theater oh that's such a good question so when i was in high school um, being raised in Baltimore, I was in this like work study after school program at the National Aquarium in Baltimore. And this program, um, I was there for about three or four years throughout high school. And um, throughout the school year, we learned about like environmental science and things like that. But during the summer, every summer, we had to create this play that we would go around to the public libraries and perform it for for children so we had to write the script make the music make the costumes all of that so that was probably the first time that I had a concept of what theater actually was and because of that I applied to a bunch of like art programs and theater programs for college so I think that's when I kind of knew that theater was a thing but even at that time I didn't know sound was a thing so it still took me a few years to realize what I actually wanted to do. Wow that's very very interesting. Um, let me ask you this I mean you mentioned how you butchered some things but you know try to talk to us about how you evolved as a sound designer from when you first started off to now that's the best you can get on Broadway to to be doing this type <laughs> of work so you know what was your evolution to becoming yeah. the person you are now that's such a good question so like I said my first job was at a dance company um I did a bunch of like odd jobs being a like a1 a2 um for different theaters um, my first like professional sound design job was at um, Kansas City Rep. They did this huge version of, of Frankenstein. And this was literally right before the pandemic. And I wasn't ready for that level of, of a show either. But they hired me. I got through it. Um, I think, honestly, going through the pandemic and doing so much work prepped me for when theater reopened. And I think in general, sound designers were very fortunate to keep a lot of our work through COVID, unlike lighting designers and costume designers. I'll also add that my one year program at Yale really helped me. I like to tell people that I feel sound design is 20% creative, 80% like technical things is so much software so much paperwork, so much math and physics that people wouldn't realize unless you're the person actually doing it. So I think just a lot of studying and COVID work helped me to refine my skills. It's interesting that you mentioned that COVID work helped you because a lot of people, you know, when COVID hit and the shutdown hit, they weren't able to work, but it, you're, you're showing that with sound design, it actually, you know, yeah you know, gave you more opportunities. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but how has your education at Howard University and sound design, I mean, Yale Sound, prepared you for your profession? So if you could go in that a little bit, because I know a lot of people watch my show, they, they're interested in the, the Broadway shows and the films and television I talk about. But then there's a lot of people who want to know, like, how can I do what she does or what does it take? And what are some of the key tools that I took with me from Howard, from the Yale program that helped me be, you know, get this opportunity? Yeah, so let me preface with this. I do not think you have to go to school to be a sound designer specifically, Um, but my program at Yale was like, 50% 50% sound design and 50% like sound technology. So like I said, going back to a lot of the software, how to draft, how to create like a QLab file, how to measure from this point to this point and why you need to know how to measure, um, things like that. And I will say a lot of that you can learn on the job. It'll be a steep learning curve, um, but like I said, my first job at the dance company was the first time I did a lot of things in audio. And honestly, I did struggle um, because working in fast paced environments like theater and dance, people don't really want to stop to teach you something for the first time, but it is important to kind of be in a safe space. And one thing that helped me very early in my career was to write everything down, no matter how small you think the note or the learning lesson is, I would would draw pictures of what a certain cable looked like so that when I saw it again the next time, I would know what it was. Because although people say there's no such thing as a stupid question, what does bother people is asking the same question over and over again after (laughs) they already explained it. So that was something I had to learn the hard way. Does that answer your question? It definitely does. So let me ask you this, being a person of color um, in this industry, what type of bias did you come up against? That's a a loaded question. (laughs) Um, Let me start it this way. Um, My experience has two layers, one being a Black person and then being a woman. Because in sound specifically, there's I I don't want to say there's not a lot of women who are sound designers because there are. I know more than 10 at this point. And to me, that's a lot. But to be at my level as a sound designer has been very hard. Um, There's times where I'm not taken seriously. There are repeated times where I would ask um, a sound shop to prep certain equipment for me. And then we get to tech and my equipment is not there. And I'm told it's not there because they didn't believe I actually needed it. And that has happened to me more than than one time. And um, thankfully I have a few mentors who are white men who I can go to and say, hey, does this ever happen to you? And it's been so important to me to have those people who can say, "Um, yes, things like that do happen. Don't feel like it happens to you just because of of your demographic or sometimes they're very honest with me and say, no, that has never happened to to me. They only did that to you because you're a black woman, sound designer, and you need to tell them to fix it. So yeah, I've had quite the journey of like um, uh, 
taking the hard road <laughs> with people at work. Well, you have, it seems like you have such a pleasant personality. I'm sure they warm up to you after a while. <laughs> I guess but you so. could be surprising us too. You could be like a little tornado <laughs> under there. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you look like the type that gets what you want, okay? <laughs> and plus you so. went to Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I read that you're a member of the Motion Picture Editors Guild. Um, how does one become a member of that? In my opinion, it's a lot harder to break into TV and film compared to theater. And I say that because a lot of the theater jobs I've gotten, even at big theaters, I've gotten because I simply like cold called or sent someone my resume. It was like, hey, I would love to work for y'all. Whereas in TV and film is not that straightforward um there's a lot of doors you have to take so to get into that specific union you've had to have worked on a big budget um film or television show for a certain amount of weeks and I was in um, a sound apprentice on two tv shows this year one for stars and one for hbo um and that got me into the union um, let me let me name like um, a few like resources that that can do like job placement on professional TV shows and films. One is called Ghetto Film School. Um, their their offices are in New York and California, but they do job placement um, in different states. Another one is called um, Sound Girls. They're specifically for people who work in sound, but they also help with job placement. Um, another one is New York based, they're called Post New York Alliance. Um, that's really how I got on my professional um, television shows because I met sound supervisors there who were like, hey, I'm staffing up for my show, would you like a job? Um, and then there's one in California called Hollywood Professional Association. Pretty much people who work for big companies like Disney and Netflix are part of that program. They do job placement as well. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Um, because, you know, you've been given the opportunity. There's a lot of people out there who just don't even know where to start. So this information is you know, really important. And that's what we try to do to share yeah. and give back. So, you know, we all can succeed. So let me ask you this. What do you feel is or has been your biggest hurdle to overcome to get from starting out to where you are now? Mm. Honestly, I, th I think money. And I think that can be across the board for a lot of people. That's something that people are starting to talk about more, not just how much theaters pay people, but the, um, the reality that it does take money to get started in a lot of these backstage jobs. Like when I first started designing at tiny theaters, I had to pay out of pocket for a lot of my software licenses and I didn't have that money. And I had mm. to beg friends to like give me money so that I could try to work. And um, I know during COVID times, there were a lot of like relief um, funds going to designers and people who work behind the scenes but I kind of wish programs like that were still around throughout the year to kind of like help people get on their feet who's trying to like start their career because even for like 
a VectorWorks license, which is a drafting program that runs the monthly payment is like $175. And drafting wow. is something that is essential for sound designers to do. So imagine how, how much of a hurdle that is for someone who's just getting out of school or someone who can't even go to school because they can't afford school. They definitely can't afford a software program. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's very interesting because it almost sounds like unless you have the financial means, you know, it'll, yeah. the, it, the role will be much harder yeah, for exactly. people. Wow. Yes. So that's something to know going in. Yes. Wow. Wow. So I read that you said in my dream world, I would design five musicals a year and never touch another play. Please elaborate <laughs> on why that is your dream. <laughs> yeah, I love musicals. Musicals are so much fun to watch and to work on. Also, although I do compose. Composing is not like my dream task on every play that I design. And usually whenever I'm working on a play, I get hired with the expectation that I'm also going to compose music for it. And that just means I'm doing two jobs at one time, which isn't always fun. Um, and I think musicals are so much more adventurous. Um, as a sound designer, I can try a few more things. And the final thing is I love being of service to other people on the team. So on a play, everything is pretty much in my hands with how I want to tell the story. But on a musical, the, the music director and the band are more important than me. So I have to support them and make sure they have what they need, which is what I really like. Nice dream. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So we talked about the pandemic and how, you know, for you, it affected your work. You got more work during the pandemic. So um, any downsides to the pandemic for you and your work? Oh, yeah. The main thing is, um, Directors and theater companies not respecting time. Um, they assume that because I'm home all day, then I don't mind working nonstop on their project, um, despite how much or how little I'm being paid to do it. So there became no separation of work and personal life, being home all day, working on things. And that became really hard for me at one point where I wanted to like quit doing like radio plays and podcasts. Um, but now that hump is over. So yeah. yeah. Okay, good. I think that's across the board too, uh, that people complain that in the pandemic when people were working virtually, there's no boundaries. You yep. know, they expect you to be on tap 24 seven. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. And it's, and it's stressful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we need our own time to take care of ourselves and just exactly. unplug. Yeah, exactly. definitely, definitely. So um, I read that you blogged for Broadway World and Sound Girls. You had mentioned Sound Girls before, but for our audience members who are not aware of those outlets, Broadway World and Sound Girl, you want to tell them a little bit about those organizations? Yeah, so Broadway World is really um, a media platform um, that covers anything related to theater, not just Broadway, but um, off-Broadway, um, regional theaters and small community theaters in different cities. Um, I've written for them 
twice the things I've written for them have just been about um why is there not more people of color hired backstage especially on these shows that are written by directed by and starring by people of color um especially because prior to the pandemic when I used to go watch a lot of theater and I would see all of these black people on stage and then when I researched the people who worked on the show I'm like wait everybody's white and I I still have a big issue with us especially black people celebrating a black show or black movie but like the the ratio of black stars to black backstage creatives just don't match and I think we have to stop celebrating that type of like weak diversity in my opinion Sound Girls, um, they are a nonprofit based in California, but they have a global presence. They do a lot of like outreach, scholarships, job placement, mentoring um, for targeted towards women and non-binary people who work in audio, all facets of audio, whether that's theater, um, music, news. They even like wrote a piece on this Black woman um, who does sound for like NASA who would have thought that was a thing so sound girls is an amazing program oh wow well thank you for sharing that with us because I will definitely look into them and see the work that they're doing awesome. yeah that's amazing I also read that you study sign language uh, <laughs> what made you want to do that yeah I needed some hobbies sign language became a hobby um for me and when I was at, I worked at um, Williamstown Theater Festival this summer, for better or for worse. Um, and some of their, their staff are like getting very advanced in sign language, which really inspired me to start um, learning it more. Um, and then I've been thinking as a sound designer, because my life depends so much on listening to things, how cool is it to be able to communicate with someone who can't really hear the things that I hear. And I know theater technology is starting to advance to where we can accommodate people um, who don't have that good of listening skills. So I just think sign language is a beautiful thing to learn. Oh, awesome, awesome. So what's next for Twee? What's next for Twee McCollum? Oh, I hate being asked that question because <laughs> I have long stretches of time where I'm like, do I really want to keep doing sound? And I think many designers go through that of, uh, is this really what I want to do the rest of my life? So I've been thinking about leaving the industry to do something else. The flip side of that is um, I do have shows in early 2022, um, two musicals in one play so far. And then I might be taking a job at Skywalker Sound, a full-time job. They're located in the Bay Area. They do the audio for every Marvel project, Disney project, and, um, and Pixar project. So if I go there, that will be the job I hold until I die. So yeah, <laughs> th those are the options right now. <laughs> okay, those are exciting options though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, so if um, people wanted to keep up with you, how could they find you on social media? Because I'm sure they will want to stay tuned to what you're doing. Oh, sure. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram name is Twee, T-W-I, and then period, and then Wave File, W-A-V. 
F-I-L-E. Um, and then my website is twebackstage.me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're running out of time. Do you have any closing remarks? Anything you want to, any words of wisdom that you haven't already spoken that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, sure. For anyone who wants to get into audio or just backstage jobs in general, I think people should know that it is never easy. It's never going to be easy. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that you're, you're bad at it. Um, so to just keep going until something works and that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everyone, you heard it from the expert, Tui McCollum. I'd like to thank her again for joining us on our show. Thank you, audience, for tuning in this week. And until next week, consider yourself Blacklit.